I'm sure you have noticed that when you buy a new appliance or a power tool or any number of consumer products, they often come with a warning label attached. Now, logic would dictate that an extra expense like adding a warning label is not something that a manufacturer would willingly take on if it wasn't necessary. And I imagine that every single warning label on every single product that we buy is there because a lawsuit was brought against the manufacturer. And in that light, looking at some of these warning labels makes my head spin. What in the world must have caused a manufacturer to publish these warnings? A label on a baby stroller warns, remove child before folding. <laughs> a household iron warns users, never iron clothes while they are being worn. A cartridge for a laser printer says, do not eat toner. A dishwasher carries the warning, do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. A box of birthday candles says, do not, with capital letters, allow use of soft wax as earplugs or for any other function that involves insertion into a body cavity. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Hey, get those candles out of your ears! The fifth chapter of Isaiah begins with a warning label. But there's nothing wacky about it. Well, maybe a little bit, because it's in the form of a love song. A warning label as a love song sung by the prophet. A song that tells of God and God's own vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, says Isaiah. Now, if this were rendered by Disney, this is where we would hear the chirping birds and the swell of violins underneath the background. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. God built a watchtower in it, thus keeping the vineyard safe from enemies, both human and animal and he hewed out a vast wine vat. Everything is ready to produce fine wine, and all that needs to happen is for the grapes to do their thing and produce great grapes. God expected great grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now, the Hebrew is a little ambiguous here. It could also be translated as rotten grapes. But the point is that God had done everything necessary to prepare the vineyard for a crop of good grapes, but it only produced bad fruit. And here is where the Disney version of this love song changes. The music becomes suddenly ominous. The sky darkens dramatically, and there is thunder and lightning. 
God is unhappy. So God brings a legal case against the people of Judah. Judge between me and my vineyard, thunders the Lord. What more is there that I could have done for the vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected it to yield good grapes, why did it yield garbage grapes? The Lord followed all the proper vineyard procedures, but he still got rotten grapes. So God asks the people of Judah to settle the case and to determine who is to blame. Are the wild grapes the fault of God, or are they the fault of the vineyard? Are they the fault of the manufacturer or the fault of the consumer? Well, if a child plays in the dishwasher, we have to blame the caregiver and not the dishwasher maker. If a man gets a birthday candle stuck in his ear, we have to blame the man, not the candle manufacturer. In the case of the bad fruit of Isaiah, the same is true. The fault lies with the vineyard. The warning label could not be any clearer. Producing rotten fruit can result in injury, dismemberment, or death. Wild grapes will be trampled down and returned to dust. Now, you have probably figured out that this passage of Scripture has nothing to do with actual vineyards and has everything to do with the behavior of the people. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, concludes Isaiah, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. Although the people of Israel and Judah were planted and watered properly, they turned into bad fruit. Instead of practicing justice and righteousness, they fell into violence and dishonesty. Instead of growing into the good people God intended them to be, they turned into wild and unruly creatures. They became like the, the man in a New Yorker cartoon talking with his friend at a coffee shop. I've tried a lot of life strategies, he says, but being completely self-serving works for me. You might say that the people of God misused the abilities and opportunities that God gave them. They're like the electric drill made for woodworking, that carried the warning, this product not intended for use as a dental drill. God made them for justice, but they practiced injustice. God made them for service, but they preferred strong drink. God made them for good, but they practiced evil. God made them for truth, and they uttered falsehoods. God made them to dwell in light, but they live in darkness. 
they failed to be what they were created to be and to do what God intended them to do. And the result of their failure is complete and total destruction. And this is God's warning. And it's not a wacky one at all. To avoid the fate of the wild grapes, we have to pay attention to issues of materialism, poverty, justice, and righteousness. You shall not steal is as an important a warning label as it was when it first appeared in the Ten Commandments, as is the caution, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What do these commandments challenge us to do in our workplaces, our shopping experiences, our neighborhoods? Moses says you shall not deprive a resident alien or an orphan of justice. You shall not take a widow's garment in pledge. What does this say about the way immigrants are treated, as well as women and children who are struggling to survive? Jesus spits out the warning, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faith. What does this warning label say to us when we focus more on the good of the church than on the good of the world around us? Now, I don't have to tell you that we live in an increasingly divided and hostile culture toward people who don't believe as we believe. And I could probably preach this sermon in almost any sanctuary in this great country this morning, and every single listener would identify with the good grapes, believing those other people are the bad grapes. Given that everyone would probably agree that it is, a good, it is good to do the right thing, we disagree about what the right thing is to do. But when someone disagrees with us, they're ignored or rejected or even demonized. And this is all to our collective shame. What is happening has a, has a name. It's mentioned in the Bible. It's nothing new. It's called hardening of hearts. The very act of condemning sin may cause us to sin even more gravely. Let me tell you just one story about a hardened heart. Will Campbell was a Baptist preacher and a civil rights activist. He was very much on the front lines, quick to call out family member or stranger alike who defied the movement toward justice and equality. He was all about getting into good trouble at any cost. 
but unbeknownst to him at the time, his heart was hardening, and he began failing to see the humanity in his opponents. One day, his intoxicated brother Joe and friend called P.D. called Campbell out for his failure to see his enemies as people. You see, a young seminarian colleague of Will's was one of two men murdered for being active participants in the civil rights movement in the South. Will was rightfully outraged. As he lamented and made phone calls mobilizing folks to respond to the murder, Joe and P.D. sat and mourned with Will over the loss of his friend. At one point, Will's anger raged. The religious critic P.D. asked Will, Brother, what you reckon your friend Mr. Jesus thinks of all this? Brother, what about that definition of Christianity you gave me that time? Let's see if it can pass the test. You see, P.D. had once asked Will to give a definition of Christian faith in ten words or less. And reluctantly, Will gave P.D. a response that he felt would resonate with P.D. and still sum up the faith in as few words as possible. Now, I'm going to substitute the word bum for what he really said. My mother wouldn't let me use the real word. He said... We're all bums, but God loves us anyway. We're all bums, but God loves us anyway. As as Will's friend lay dead from a bullet fired in hate, P.D. fired a haunting question back at the preacher. By your definition, was Jonathan, the murdered activist, a bum? And Will begrudgingly said, well, yeah. Then P.D. pushed harder. All right. Is Coleman the murderer? Is Coleman a bum? Will said, of course he's a bum. Then P.D. whispered another question to Will. Which of these two bums do you think God loves the most? Campbell wrote the following about what happened next. I'll use his words. Quote, Suddenly everything became clear. Everything. It was a revelation. I began to whimper, but the crying was interspersed with laughter. I was laughing at myself. At 20 years of ministry which had become, without my realizing it, a ministry of liberal sophistication, an attempted negation of Jesus, of human engineering, of riding the coattails of Caesar, of playing on his ballpark by his rules and with his ball, of looking to government to make and verify and authenticate our morality, of worshiping at the shrine of enlightenment and academia, of denying not only the faith I professed to hold, 
but my history and my people, he continued. The Colemans of the world loved. And if loved, forgiven. And if forgiven, reconciled. Yet sitting then in his own jail cell, the blood of two of his and my brothers on his hands. The thought gave me a shaking chill in a non-air-conditioned room in August. End quote. Sisters and brothers, we've been given a vineyard ready to grow great grapes. Let's work tirelessly to cultivate the good that God would grow. And heaven knows there is a lot of work to do. But let's be careful not to let our hearts be hardened to the point that we can no longer see people who disagree with us, members of our families, our congregations, our towns, villages, states, nation, as children of God, as we are children of God. There is so much work to do to bring justice and righteousness in this world. Even if we are sure that we are right, especially if we are sure that we are right, we cannot risk contaminating, sickening, poisoning the whole vine because of our hard-hearted arrogance. Let us never be afraid of those who disagree, and together let us seek the common ground that can lead us forward in the cultivation of good in this vineyard of life. Thanks be to God who gives us the spirit and the love with which to accomplish it. Amen.